Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am proud to be your host, Terence M. Stanton. This is being recorded on Monday, January 31st, 2022. And today we are going to take a look at an article from the Fatima Center, located at Fatima.org, entitled, A Night Illumined by an Unknown Light by Andrew Sasonic, and it was initially published on January 25th. And this is going to be a subject we've touched on before, but it certainly bears repeating because of its great importance. Let's take a look. On July 13, 1917, after showing the three shepherd children a vision of hell, Our Lady then confided to them the second part of the secret of Fatima. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the reign of Pius XI. When you see a night illumined by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign given to you by God that he is about to punish the world for its sins by means of war, famine, and persecutions against the church and of the Holy Father. To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated." I'm going to pause for a second here and add some of my own commentary, as I will periodically throughout these articles. Think of what Our Lady's saying here. Think of how offensive, how truly insane sin is to Almighty God. And what she's talking about is taking place over 100 years ago, 1917. And we might have in our mind's eye, well, you know, people were basically good folks back then, and most people were on the same page morally, be they Christian, Protestant, Jewish, whatever the particular case might be, and it was pretty much a moral society. Well, certainly in comparison to 2022, it was a very moral society 105 years ago but not in the eyes of God. The Lord had been grievously offended and for a long time by what people were doing or not doing in upholding the Ten Commandments. And think of how much worse it is now in our day. Are we a more moral society than the world as it existed in 1917? Surely not. No Christians were arguing for contraception, let alone abortion and so-called same-sex marriage. A person who was arguing in favor of those things back then was liable to be locked in an insane asylum or punched in the face. Just didn't talk about those sorts of things. But now every sort of vice is celebrated. And it's like the world has been turned upside down. 
to be virtuous is to be a prude or to be a hater or to be unloving while accepting and encouraging sinful and disgusting behavior that's celebrated so when we talk about different eras in history we have to try to put on the mind of the Lord and see things from the eternal perspective for men well, for everyone, of course, our, our standard is our Lord Jesus Christ and conforming our behavior with what he would want us to do. But the example par excellence for men is St. Joseph. And for women, it's the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's not what the popular celebrity is doing on TV or in the movies because it's bound to be the most immoral behavior imaginable, saying the most ridiculous things imaginable. For men, we're called to be great saints. We're called to be righteous husbands and fathers and priests, like St. Joseph. And for women, we're called, women are called to be chaste and modest and have self-control and not be a temptation to men like the Blessed Virgin Mary. And to be obedient and docile to their husbands when they're married. These sorts of things were just par for the course for centuries in the Catholic Church. It was understood. Traditional gender roles for men and for women and those have been completely turned on their head now because of the so-called sexual revolution, really a sexual devolution. We need to get back to traditional values. That starts with devotion to Our Lady of Fatima and devotion to St. Joseph. We recently came out of the year dedicated to St. Joseph, and it's a great idea for all men to either renew or develop, for the first time, a good, strong relationship with St. Joseph. St. Joseph is my co-patron, along with St. Raphael the Archangel. Those are our models. Our Lord, of course, first and foremost. But Jesus wants us to love St. Joseph and Our Lady, and to emulate their behavior. Let's continue. In the article, Mr. Sasonic says, here Our Lady warns of the events, including war, to be foreshadowed by the night illumined by an unknown light. She also provides the solution for preventing these events, the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart, and the devotion of the communions of reparation on the first Saturdays. The night of the unknown light occurred, but unfortunately, Our Lady's requests have gone unheeded, and many of the predicted events have already occurred. Thus, it would seem that the annihilation of nations is looming on the horizon. The night of the unknown light. 
By 1938, World War II was about to break out. It would begin during the reign of Pius XI, signaled by a night illumined by an unknown light. On the night of January 25 and 26, 1938, during the reign of Pope Pius XI, who reigned between 1922 and 1939, the sky became a brilliant blood red, likened to the blaze of a gigantic fire, and filling the evening sky, it was seen across Europe and even in parts of North America and North Africa. It was determined to be a most extraordinary aurora borealis, but Sister Lucia expressed reservations about this. She wrote in her third memoir, on August 31, 1941, that no matter what cause the light could be attributed to, God made use of this to make me understand that his justice was about to strike the guilty nations. This was the sign of the beginning of World War II and the other dire events predicted in the second secret. As Fatima author Mark Fellows writes, the blood-red sky lasted for many hours and was seen around half of the world at the same vivid intensity. Lucy and the sisters watched the pulsating, violently-hued inferno from Tui. Of all the descriptions of that night, the most precise one had been prophesied over 20 years ago by the beautiful lady at Covadiria. A night illumined by an unknown light, the Virgin told Lucy, would be the great sign given by God that he is about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and the Holy Father. Within two months of the great sign, Hitler's armies invaded Austria. As the Blessed Virgin has prophesied, the Second World War began in the reign of Pius XI. And everything that Our Lady has promised, I'm going to interject again for a minute, in relation to her apparitions, all that came true. She talked about this night illumined by an unknown light. She talked to the three little shepherds about Russia spreading her errors. They seemed to be confused as to who or what Russia was. They thought Russia might be a lady. You know, they were young at that time. They were all illiterate. Lucy learned how to read, but just uneducated. Common sense, good people who didn't have formal education. So some of the things they were talking about, or excuse me, the Blessed Mother was talking about, they, they didn't fully comprehend. And they were young kids at the time. But of course, our Lord comes and Our Lady comes in many of these apparitions to the young, to the modest, those who are poor, those who are seen as not being of much importance to the world. What does the world emphasize? Youth, beauty, wealth, power, sensuality. That's what the world is about. What is the Lord about? Chastity, modesty, self-control, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord, at the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we should ask the Lord for. Yes, it's wonderful to pray for success in school, success at a job. 
to marry a good woman or a good man, whatever the particular case might be. But above all else, as the Bible verse says, we should seek his kingdom first. This is a story I may have related before on the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, but it also bears repeating. Dr. Ralph Martin talking about when he was first starting off as a young married man, wasn't making a lot of money, kind of had a part-time job. You know, he had a wife and was sure that kids would be on the way soon, and they were. And he was wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to support my wife? How am I going to, going to support the children uh, if the Lord blesses me with a family? Which he did. But he kept going back to the scripture verse. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's that scripture verse that talks about seeking the Lord's kingdom first. And he'll provide you with everything else besides. But you have to seek his kingdom first. We have to want what God wants. We have to pray for that grace. Lord, help me that all of my thoughts, words, and actions will be only what you want me to think. You want me to speak. You want me to do. Conform my will to yours. Father Jeremiah Drexilius wrote that book, The Heliotropium, about conforming our will to the Lord's. I certainly believe that the Lord has a universal will for everyone, which is to be saved, certainly. But he has a specific will for each and every one of us. There are things in this life that only I can do. There are things in this life that only you can do. There are things in this life that only your sister or your brother or your mom or your dad or your cousin can do. Because that, from all eternity, has been the specific will for our Lord, for your life, for my life, for their life. There are billions of souls on this planet and billions of unique individual plans for each one of us that the Lord has. And it's all interconnected. We'll only see it at the end of our life and then at the end of time. We have our particular judgment when we're judged immediately by our Lord when we die, but then at the end of time, the general judgment when all the good and the bad that everyone has done will be revealed to everyone else. And Jesus will come as the just judge and render to each of us according to our works. So our gift to him and thanksgiving for his precious gift of life is using that life to glorify him, to love him and to love others, and by his grace, through prayer, through fasting, through the sacraments, figure out precisely what vocation he wants us to do, how he wants us to go about living this beautiful life that he has given us. And the thing that blocks that, of course, is sin. The sin problem. When we decide to not seek out his will, but to seek out what's going to make me feel good, or what's going to make me look good in the eyes of others. That's not going to matter at all at the end of our life. 
were going to be measured on how much we loved God and how much we loved our neighbor. That is something that we always have to keep in mind when we're going through these crazy times in the world. We know that the Lord is in charge, that he has a plan for the world and the church, but he also has a very beautiful plan for each one of us. As E. Michael Jones is fond of saying, God has a plan for your life. Do not ever forget that. And whatever struggles, whatever trials you go through in this life, offer them up for the relief of the holy souls in purgatory. They will thank you for it. Let us continue with Mr. Sasonic's article. This section is called During the Reign of Pope Pius XI. Some critics argued that Sister Lucia's prophecy that war would begin during the reign of Pius XI was incorrect, claiming that the Second World War began with the German invasion of Poland on September 1, 1939, as is widely and erroneously believed. When Pius XII was Pope, installed on March 12, 1939, not Pius XI. However, the invasion of Austria, March 1938, the annexation of Czechoslovakia, the formation of military alliances, and the decision to invade Poland were the beginnings of the war, though a state of war had not yet been officially declared by the major world powers against one another. All of these events occurred during the pontificate of Pope Pius XI. Thus, it is historically inaccurate to claim that Our Lady's prediction of a worse war breaking out during the reign of Pius XI was an error. Not only does such an assertion demonstrate a lack of historical knowledge, but worse, it betrays a lack of piety and reverence, and at worst, could be construed as blasphemous. Also, during the same night of January 25, 26, 1938, in Moscow's Lubyanka prison, a man by the name of Christian Rakovsky was being interrogated by Yosef Stalin's chief interrogator. During the interrogation, Rakovsky revealed Germany's plan to dominate Europe. He proposed that the Soviet Union join Germany in an invasion of Poland, which would lead to Europe's retaliation against Germany and not the Soviet Union. According to Rakovsky's plan, France and England would wear each other out, after which the Soviet Union would turn on Germany and collect the spoils of the war. This fateful interview began at the same time the unknown light in the sky was beginning to fade. It resulted in the Soviet Union's instigation of and participation in the war, and Rakovsky's plan was carried out to the great benefit of the Soviet Union. Again, the decisive step toward World War II occurred during the reign of Pope Pius XI. The Solution The Consecration of Russia In addition to World War II, all the other events prophesied by Our Lady in July 1917 have already occurred, at least to some degree. We certainly should not think that these prophecies are complete and done with. In fact, it is most likely that there will be more hunger, famine, war, and persecutions of the Church. It seems certain that more good will be martyred, that the Pope and Papal office will suffer even greater trials. It's manifestly obvious that we have not yet seen the annihilation of nations. But to prevent all of this, Our Lady had appeared to Sister Lucia in Tui, Spain, on June 13, 1929, to make her formal request for the consecration of Russia. 
Then, since the Pope and Catholic bishops still had not obeyed Our Lady, in 1952, our Lord told Sister Lucia, it is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. Thus, heaven's solution is still available to us. Regarding the importance and efficacy of the consecration of Russia requested by Our Lady, we can see a foretaste in Portugal of what the world will enjoy when the consecration is finally properly done. On May 13, 1931, the 14th anniversary of the first apparition at Fatima, in the presence of 300,000 faithful, the bishops of Portugal solemnly consecrated their nation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. As a result of this consecration, Portugal experienced a threefold miracle. Number one, there was a magnificent Catholic Renaissance, a vast renewal of Catholic life, which manifested itself in many areas, including a drastic upsurge in priestly and religious vocations and religious communities. Number two, there was a miracle of political and social reform in accordance with Catholic social principles. Antonio Salazar ascended to power and inaugurated a Catholic counter-revolutionary program. He strove to create as much as possible a Catholic social order, wherein the laws of government and social institutions are harmonized with the law of Christ, his gospel, and his church. A fierce adversary of socialism and liberalism, he was opposed to everything which diminishes or dissolves the family. Number three, there was a twofold miracle of peace. Portugal was preserved from the communist terror, especially from the Spanish Civil War, which raged 1936 to 1939 next door. And Portugal was also spared from the devastation of World War II, 1938 to 1945. Then, in 1936, the Portuguese bishops vowed that if Our Lady protected Portugal from the ravages of the Spanish Civil War, they would express their gratitude by renewing the consecration of Portugal to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which they did on May 13, 1938. On February 6, 1939, Seven months before declaration of World War II, and a year after the night illumined by an unknown light, January 25 and 26, 1938, Sister Lucia wrote to her bishop, Monsignor de Silva, telling him that war was imminent, but that in this horrible war, Portugal would be spared because of the national consecration of the Immaculate Heart of Mary made by the bishops. And Portugal was spared the horrors of war. Sister Lucia then wrote to Pope Pius XII on December 2, 1940, telling him that Portugal was receiving special protection during the war that other nations would have received if the bishops would have consecrated their nations to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And on May 13, 1942, Portugal's Cardinal Serahara maintained that the miraculous blessings Our Lady obtained for Portugal as a heavenly reward for the 1931 consecration of that nation we're only a foretaste of what she will do for the entire world. Once Russia is also properly consecrated to her Immaculate Heart. As the Cardinal said, what has taken place in Portugal proclaims the miracle, and it foreshadows what the Immaculate Heart of Mary has prepared for the world. Conclusion Which would you rather have? The Catholic Renaissance and peace experienced by Portugal after the national consecrations of 1931 and 1938? or the state of affairs currently seen not only in the USA and Canada, but throughout the entire world. It is long past due for the Pope and union with all the Catholic bishops of the world to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us.
as I've said before on this podcast, Our Lady of Fatima gets results. Those two national consecrations that took place in 1931 and 1938 by the bishop, bishops of Portugal led to a tremendous period of peace and prosperity, a veritable Catholic renaissance in Portugal. Why aren't the Catholic bishops of the world consecrating their nations to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Mother every year? That should be an annual thing. Why can't an individual bishop consecrate his diocese to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary every year? Let us pray for our bishops. There are some good ones, of course, some very holy bishops out there. There are many who seem almost indifferent to what the Catholic Church teaches, if not actively opposing the teachings of Holy Mother Church. So let us pray for our bishops. Let us pray for an increase of holy vocations to the priesthood and religious life. The traditional orders, especially the Society of St. Pius X, are booming because young people want tradition. They want the truth. You have many young people, I'm talking about folks in their, their teens and 20s, who've seen their parents go through divorce, various other unhappy relationships, and they don't want that. They're the children of divorce. They're the children of broken homes. They want tradition. They want traditional family life. They want the sort of existence that their grandparents or their great-grandparents had, that every generation of Catholics had, home and hearth. A family, a true family, a mother, a father, children. Not all of these notions of what a modern family is with two moms or two dads or one mom or one dad and all this other nonsense. That's not what God wants. You can't be raised properly unless you're raised by both a father and a mother. Now I understand there are tragedies. Sometimes a father dies or a mother dies. Other family members, older siblings have to pick up the slack. But a normal family, a healthy family, is a mom and a dad who are married. who wait until their wedding night to engage in the marital act. That's why it's called the marital act. As we stated before on this podcast, John F. Kipley, the covenant theology of sexuality, sexual intercourse is intended by God to be at least implicitly a renewal of the marriage covenant. We need to be a society that gets back to that understanding, that sexual intercourse, the gift of married love, is to be saved for a husband and a wife. And anything outside of that is either fornication or adultery. 
And let's pray also for the day where all pornography is outlawed. It is evil. Pornography emasculates men and it destroys women. Men, we must be like St. Joseph. We must defend women. We must protect women. And women, you have to hold men up by wearing modest clothing, by being chaste, by not tempting men into immorality. Only then can we have a true culture of life. Let us conclude by honoring Our Lady of Fatima and honoring St. Joseph. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity by Father Donald Calloway. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now I chain myself to you and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, St. Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pronobis, Sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pronobis, in nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I am Terence M. Stanton. You have been listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please share this podcast with everyone you know. Goodbye, and God love you.